Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You've certainly talked a lot this season about the, the feel of this team, the culture that, that you guys have built, um, what you've been able to do here as a group, especially over these last couple of nights. How would you describe what you've done? Yeah, I, I, I keep using the quote that we're built for this, and I think that today was a perfect example. We went through every single guy on the bench. I was the last guy off the bench. Um, you know, we had two new pitchers brought up today. We had some guys in the bullpen that were unavailable because they had to cover so many innings yesterday, and uh, no one flinched. You know, we didn't play very good baseball early on. We, we shot ourselves in the foot, but uh, we picked each other up. Uh, guys that made mistakes in the field came up, contributed in the uh, when they their turn came up in the lineup. Um, you know, no one pointed fingers. You know, I was sitting in here listening to Jared talk. He's been very humble in, in what he had to say, but he threw the ball really well. Being on the bench, I got a chance to go through the iPad and look at, you know, where pitches are thrown and, you know, sequences of pitches. And he did an unbelievable job today. We just didn't do a good job picking him up and he needs to feel real good about himself. And we make sure to let him know that. And it was a big part of our post game to, to let him know that he, he did an unbelievable job. And, you know, he, he probably would have went a lot deeper in the game if we would have played a little bit cleaner, but guys picked each other up and that's what this team's about. It's what we've been about all year. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, July the 22nd, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, uh, Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast, and I know a lot of you are asking, why didn't I have a show on Monday after the series in Pittsburgh, which there was so much to talk about just on Monday, and I'm glad I didn't, because as I was thinking about it, and I looked at the schedule, and I saw the day off coming up on Thursday, and we had, I thought, done a really good job with Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated to recap the first half Uh, I said, you know, let's just let this Cincinnati series play out. Let the Mets finish their trip through the Rust Belt. And I'm so glad I did because, you know, we would have lost the opportunity to talk about the wild game on Monday, a great win on the getaway uh, 
business person special day on Wednesday. And now everybody in the Mets could take a, a deep breath. And, and with the schedule normalizing a little bit, where there's not 52 million doubleheaders. There's still a doubleheader. There's still another doubleheader in a five-game series coming up against Atlanta next week. But take a breath. Get everybody. Big win by, uh, uh, you know, big performance by Marcus Stroman. Bullpen could take a breather. And and then go into the weekend and face Toronto in a uh, a three-game series, in the big series with Atlanta. And I believe Cincinnati then comes in the following weekend to New York. So big homestand, long homestand coming up. So so glad that I decided to to wait. And, and as I was telling everybody with the show now, as we get into the nitty-gritty, the let's go get it done portion of the season, still trying to figure out what the Mets need, and we'll get into that. Zach Scott, I think, with John Heyman, and I'll talk about that in a bit, gave you some interesting nuggets about where this team is going on the deadline. So a uh, little bit of a different schedule, and at times as we go uh, into the, the latter part of, of of this season, we may do that depending on you know how things break up and, and, and what have you. So here's where I'll start. Saturday night was probably the first time all season that I didn't feel, it was nothing I could have told you that I could have rationalized how that loss was anything but bad. That whole day was anything but bad. So you, you go out of the, you know, you go into the All-Star break, you say, all right, they're getting healthy. There's still some issues. They got to get to the deadline, find some pitching. They still have a few pitchers they need to get back here. You know, maybe get Carrasco back. You know, we don't know about Syndergaard, uh, but okay. Go with the healthy offense, the pitchers you have. May have to mess around with a bullpen game with the five spot, but let's go with this and see. Within 24 hours, you have Lindor on the DL with an oblique injury, which I believe will probably, the next time you see Lindor is when rosters expand on September 1st. And that's what they expand by a couple of now. They, you know, you could expand it by two or three people. It's not like the old days you put 52 people in the dugout. Uh, Jacob deGrom then has this another weird, you know, inflammation type injury with the tendonitis, no structural damage. Again, I don't want to be one to talk about somebody's body. Either they're lying, which is always possible that they're downplaying something greater, or Jake's body's changing and he's going to have to learn to pitch through a new, you know, as a pitcher with high velocity and, and not a ton of miles, but, so, you know, 33. Anytime you're 33 years old, you got miles in your body. He's been pitching uh, professionally since 2010. You might have to make some pains that you got to ignore, but... That's not what today's all about. Then you blow the six nothing league, and I have the six nothing lead, and I have to tell you, for whatever reason, I didn't feel good about that game. I didn't feel good about the six nothing lead, and I'll give the Pirates a ton of credit after seeing them for seven days, and then watching the Arizona Diamondbacks then sweep them, which was annoying. All I will say is, even when they lose, they they kind of go down fighting. They leave a scratch in your face. I think they got a little jazzed up about New York right before the, the, the break. I mean, anytime you're a bad team, you get to play in a, in a pumped-up environment. These are big league big league players. I don't care how, you know, rankings go. Once you're in the big leagues, you got a level of, of talent that you could beat anybody on any given day for the most part. And, and they made a lot of contact. They made things very uncomfortable for the Mets. They didn't go down like the Reds went down yesterday. Of course, maybe Marcus Stroman had something to do with that. So I'll give Derek Shelton a lot of credit that if I was if I was just watching that team for a week, evaluating them, they, they have some interesting players. They, they have a lot of issues with pitching like everybody else. But it's not a total embarrassment for the Mets that they had trouble with them because that team played hard. The Braves had trouble with them, just and I, I had that bad feeling. So they lose that game and and then they get down six nothing right away. And I'm like, this is just this is just bad. This is this is going to a dark place. And there's only so many thunderbolts a team can handle. I mean, let's face it. No matter how resilient. I know what Kevin Pillar said. They're built for this. And they've been through so much. The replacements and all the, the nonsense and the garbage. And, and I go back to the offseason where historically significant what they're doing. Putting, and putting the staff together. Still trying to figure out who they want to be. Their identity as an organization and this team. And and now it's all kind of falling apart because you have your best, in theory, even though he hasn't performed it, your best and most valuable offensive player out, your best, by by far and large, and most valuable pitcher out, 
and you're down 6 nothing in the first inning, most teams, I don't care who they are, I don't care how bad the competition may be, would be like, eh, that's it, we're, 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 we're not feeling this. And they didn't do that. They came back, and a guy that's been struggling, Michael Conforto, hits a home run. And not only they they come back, they come back the next day and win about as wild of an extra inning game as you're ever going to see. And I said this on Twitter, and I know I'm about, you know, I'm a traditionalist here. Coming into all this the last two years with the, I called them the pandemic rules or whatever it may be, hated the seven-inning doubleheader, thought it was a phony reason why they did it. It was about health and safety protocol. It has nothing to do about that. The only health and safety it had to do was you couldn't find enough pitching and you didn't want to turn the game into a joke where there was position players that they have to go out there and, and throw softball. Uh, hated that. The runner on second drove me crazy. I, I'm, the three batter rule is palatable for me. It doesn't really totally bother me, but I'm like, you know, let this thing work out organically. If you limit the number of pitchers on the roster, they can't go lefty, righty, lefty every, you know, sequence, whatever. I'm not going to get into that again. But I will say the extra inning rule, and even to a certain degree, the seven inning doubleheaders, I think both are going away. And, and I think in the long run, I'm not ready to change the game significantly for those rules. But I will say this, the runner on second rule created a level of excitement. I'm not going to put it right there on par with sudden death hockey or a wild NBA overtime or sudden death NFL. But it's it's not it was it was fun. I mean it it, it, it that game may not have had the wild ending in the back and forth if it was a traditional extra inning game. Maybe the Reds go against Anthony Bonda and they hit a home run or they get a run and it's just a, your your boilerplate extra inning loss. So I'll I'll give it that. But they have this wild win on Monday and then Inevitably, you were going to have an offensive letdown, and, and Miley's pitched really well for the Reds. That's the kind of pitcher I think, you know, and we'll get to that. The Mets need that kind of veteran. And then they say, after, well, we got to go out and we got to win a series, and they did, and they did everything. You, it was almost like a perfect way to win on the road. Get ahead, get ahead early, good starting pitching. Don't let them have any thought of a rally. As, and, and normally you'd say, all right, you're going to get your bullpen in, and you want to put out a couple fires late. Because that's what happens when you play, you know, teams, you know, anywhere but maybe on the road. Reds got one hit; they didn't sniff it. And Strowman stepped up big, and that's exactly what you need from a top of the rotation pitcher. Guy says, "You know what? Today's a day that I'm not going to mess around with this game. I'm not going to put it in the hands of the bullpen. I'm not going to add to the pain and misery of the overuse." And away you go. And then you look and you and you look up and you say, "All right, the Mets are three and three on this road trip. It's not as, it's not the road trip you want. It should have been a better road trip." But it could have been a lot worse. Look, other than the last game of this series, Mets could have lost five out of six. And believe me, after Saturday night, many of you were in my mindset saying, I mean, what are they going to win one game here? Are they gonna, I mean, could you have, was there any, were there people, and, I, and I'm not just using this as 2019 Edwin Diaz Mets bullpen PTSD. Because that was 2019 Saturday night in a nutshell. And that was 2019 for so many nights throughout. Even when they had that great run, 86 Mets level run in the second half, you still saw nights like this. The Nats, the Nats game in September. We did a show about that if you go back. I thought the next day when they came back, what a day game after blowing that game late in the year against competition in their division. That was one of the most resilient bounce-back wins you could ever have. And I put the Pittsburgh win on Sunday right there. Maybe not quite there because of the time of the year and because they're in first place. They're not behind. But you had the falling behind 6 nothing the next day. That's about as resilient as you're going to get. And all sorts of guys contributing. Blankenhorn hitting a three-run home run. Pecking away. Bullpen doing eight and a third, eight and two thirds shutout innings. Ask, I mean, the bullpen has been just tremendous. So, uh, as I was, as the trip was going along, and I, and I remember talking to somebody, and I, I apologize for not remembering your handle on Twitter. And the one thing that started to come to my mind as we went through the Pittsburgh weekend, as I as as I'm watching the Reds game live on Monday, the fifteen eleven extra inning wild win, is. Maybe this team is not as good as we think they are. Maybe what we want them to be, maybe what Steve Cohen 
brought with his ownership and his money and the fresh start. We maybe maybe it was a band aid in the short term for us to believe, both the media and the fan base, that this team is at a level to compete for a championship. Because if not for a division that has, it's been the worst in baseball, and I don't see any team. Every team behind them is probably more flawed or more messed up than they are, or misbuilt. Uh, this, the Mets would be uh, a decent amount behind the wild card. Not all that different than 2019. And hoping that a team out west, like the Padres, comes back to the pack where they get help as you get close to September uh, from the Dodgers and the Giants or whoever they're playing so that you can somehow you know, get back in it. It's almost why I support, as I think more about all these rules that were thrown into the hopper, some kind of wild card play in where you have, you know, maybe a 14 tournament or something like that. Because in most cases, wild card teams are all in that same bandwidth. And, but, but then what you're seeing is the exact opposite and the argument against it. Because San Diego, if they're the wild card, you know, maybe Giants fall back, Dodgers, whatever. They'll probably be five games about maybe a little bit more better than the next team in the wild card. And then you say, well, you know, there you go. Um, because those two teams that play one and two in the wild card, Giants, you know, whatever, uh, are going to be better than the next level down. And then that 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 makes it where you know you're kind of like saying, well, thank God for the division the Mets are in. Look, Mets have been in positions where they haven't always been the most favorable division. This is a team that had to win 97 games to get into the playoffs in 1999 and win a playoff game in Cincinnati, but a team that was just as good as the Braves in a lot of ways. Uh, just as good as the team that won the championship, the Yankees. So that's San Francisco Giants in 1993 won 103 games, lost the division. All right, they were better than than, than the uh, the Phillies that won the division, and that team is beloved in Philadelphia. They're probably better than the Blue Jays that won the World Series. So I, I'm, Oakland made the play. I'm not going to get into that. That we're, I digress. But I started to think about this team, and I'm like, outside of May, where they were eight games over 500. They've basically been a 500 team. Now, like I said going into the break, when you start to look at everything, the injuries, the replacements lineup, the fact that they did not get back their two starting pitchers or even one out of the two starting pitchers that they were hoping on, uh, hoping uh, for with Carrasco and, and Syndergaard, where they lost all their depth. They're now going to guys like McGill and Robert Stock, who now is hurt. And so on that, you know, you weren't even thinking about. We weren't even talking about in spring training. The name Tyler McGill would have probably been, if you told me in spring training, a name that we would have talked about on a prospect conversation at some point in the middle of the year. Not as somebody that has done a tremendous job and so deserved to win Saturday night. So when you start looking at them, like maybe they're not that good. But then, but then they bend and they don't break. And this is where sometimes it's not just about the numbers and the run differential. And I started to look this morning at the MLB.com standings and I saw how uh, Mets uh, against 500 or better teams. Look, they're, they're 20 and 18. They're not that much different than Milwaukee. They're not that much different, maybe slightly worse than San Francisco. San Diego's the best team against good teams, a 500 or better, 31 and 21. Dodgers are a 500 team against teams 500 and better. When you start to look at that, um, maybe we're, you know, maybe we're overrating them because the Mets certainly are. For, it's fortunate where they are, but there's a lot of stuff about this team to like, and it starts with what I think Kevin Pillar said, which was they're built for this. And I talked about thunderbolts, and I used that old Pat Riley winner within speech about what you have to do to overcome thunderbolts, and when you accept them. And push through them, you you become immune to them. They don't get bothered by this. How can a team and it, and it, you're playing the Reds? There's a lot of baseball to come up, and there's a big series coming up against Atlanta next week. They could basically put Atlanta in the trash next week. What a big series! How can a team lose their best offensive player, their best pitcher, lose a six run lead, fall behind six runs? I know they're playing the Pirates, who are terrible. But I don't care who you're playing. You're playing them on the road, and then you're going into Cincinnati 
a band box with a team that has a pretty pesky offense themselves and has some good starting pitchers. The bullpen stinks. I mean, Cincinnati's not a trash team. They're not a great team. They're not a trash team. They're a team that you should have trouble with any given night. And when, from that point on Sunday with the first inning win, three games out of four, that's, that's a pretty resilient team. But where do you go forward? Because I think we have to all accept the fact that this will not be a healthy team probably all season. I think you're going to have to manage DeGrom even when he comes back. Wouldn't be surprised if they push him out an extra day or two here and there. I think best case scenario with an oblique with Rilindor is that he's back September 1st. I don't think you see him a day before the roster expansion. I just don't think you're going to see him a day. And the good news there is is that although that, that this is your $35 million a year big fish Hall of Fame level defense we've seen this year. We haven't seen Hall of Fame level offense, but a much better offense. You've seen over the last six, seven weeks that this is a good player. Maybe he's overpaid. Maybe you thought he would get Mike Trout at short. He's a really good player. But the drop-off with Guillaume, I've always liked Guillaume. I thought Guillaume was a better player than uh, Rosario. You go back in the archive somewhere. I've said that a couple times. Plays good defense, makes contact, nothing flashy. Always thought. And you saw some of that I know they made the errors, but you saw some of that. I, I have confidence that uh, Guillaume could fill in more than admirably at short. And then you have VR, who's a starting shortstop on a lot of teams. So you could you could overcome that. But we have to accept that this is probably a team that's not going to be healthy. And I think the characteristic of this team that we I've even missed is that we've said, well, it's a team that's won largely because of bullpen and defense. And, and, and you have the big three starting pitchers. And that is 110% correct. The bullpen has been the MVP and the way that they've been managed and the way that they've been able to plug in guys coming up. And even if they give you nine outs and they're 4A type talent, they were able to give you those nine outs. Tommy Hunter may never pitch another inning and probably won't the rest of the year. He will go down as a valuable piece to this rotation, uh, to this pitching staff because he gave them two very good outings when they needed it as an opener and and away you go so this team may not be healthy but it's a team that knows how to pick up the other components of the group when they need to the bullpen's done it rotation's done it whether it's the the defense and the talent that we underestimated or the way that they've incorporated defensive positioning and analytics in the defense the defensive side of the ball has done it the one component of the team that hasn't done it and now is starting, the spotlight is on them because the talent is there. There's been no doubt about it. It's a, it's a team that I said, it's an offense that I said going into the season should be top three, maybe top five in, the, in, the, in all of baseball. The offense needs to do their part, and they have. And they pretty much have since Nimmo came back. And this is so important. I don't think it's coincidental. Since Nimmo came back right before the 4th of July, about 16, 17 games, somewhere in that. I was doing some quick back-of-the-paper math. You know when you do that, you take a, a quick piece of paper in your house and you write a quick math equation? Now it's you just use your iPhone calculator or whatever phone you use. They're averaging well over five runs a game. I think 5.5, maybe 5.7. Yeah, you got the 13-run explosion and you got the 15-run explosion. That throws it off a little bit because you had a couple of brownouts over that time. But... They're averaging over five runs a game, and they have the ability to put up crooked numbers. And and early in the year with the replacements, yesterday's game, Stroman probably pitches his heart out, and maybe they get one or two runs, and that's a ball game late. And then all it is is a, a bloop and a blast, and 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 Edwin Diaz is in, and, and the stress of the drama begins, and away you go. So the offense has to do their part, and they are. And if they can average pretty consistently... Five, I was asking for, hey, I gave up on five runs a game a while ago. I was asking for, hey, you're at under four. The league average this year is about 4.2, 4.3. Get league average with the defense, the pitching, the way the bullpen is. That'll be enough to kind of get this division done. Different story when you start playing big wigs like the Dodgers and the Giants have been a big wig this year and the Padres and so on. Milwaukee, if, you know, because of their pitching, that might, you know, that's more of a low scoring series. You might have some trouble. And the execution of runners on third, less than two outs, 
that's been a little bit better, but that's still bothersome. The the third base coach is annoying me a little bit with the way he, how conservative he's been. But again, those are stories. You know, it's not the point. If the the the, the offense does their part while they're trying to get Degrom back, while they're trying to figure out this deadline and not give up the farm for a very average or below league average pitcher like a Merrill Kelly, Merrill Kelly, or John Gray. Again, things we'll get to in a minute. I think they're going to be able to win this division and get through it. And I didn't feel that way just about three or four days ago. It really was driving me crazy all over the All-Star break. How Everybody was like, well, the Phillies are coming and the Braves are coming. And I'm saying, you know, at the time, I think the Phillies were 500. The Braves are under. The Nats were way under. I'm like, when the Mets have been that team, like the Braves, in 18 or times 19, when you felt they were underachieving but they had a run in them, nobody ever talked about how here they come. It was always here they come, but. But right away, because nobody believes in the Mets, and I saw some minor league prognosticators, whether, you know, I don't know which publication, but some internet sites, you know, talk about how they're going to regress to the mean. I argue that because the offense has been so bad, averaging, you know, under four runs a game, and the worst in baseball, I mean, they were times worse than the Pirates. You go up and down that Pirate lineup, plucky, you know, whatever, the Mets have guys that should do better that have a sample size maybe of two years or so, but enough of a sample size where it's not like they were flashing the pan. You think that if, if you went to uh, Ben Charrington, uh, the Mets said, here, I'll trade you my offense for yours. You think he's going to say no? <laughs> Probably can't afford it. But you think he's going to say no? So the point here is let's get away from labeling the Mets because everything I told you is correct. Maybe we overrate them. And maybe when you really put everything together and you look at it on paper, they're not as good as the other teams. And they've certainly been fortunate about the division that they're in. But it's a team that, from day one, whether it be the new owner, a manager that I think, what a great thing to see. A real, you know, not fake outrage like Terry Collins. Real, a guy that knew at that time had had it and blew up and showed a little spit and vinegar, got suspended for it. I'm not saying that's why they won on Sunday, but I think that's why you saw how he he had the players' backs, why they love him so much. And not love him in a way where they can walk all over him because he makes their life easy. Love him in a way because he's authentic and accountable. That's what you want out of somebody that that you lead. Not that you don't want someone that is soft on you because you don't the people don't respect it. Whatever it is, this is a team that is going to come together, is going to try to, whatever component is compromised, they're going to try to cover it up by being better or or exactly that night what that com- other component needs to be. Whether it's great starting pitching with Stroman on Wednesday, Yeoman's work, bullpen work by some 4A guys in the mix of it, Monday, Tuesday. Or you just go out there and, uh, you know, we got to score 15 runs today because the other guy is probably going to score 14. Or in the case of that game, 11. And that should make for a fun end of the season. It's going to make for some nights where you're really frustrated and pounding your fist or throwing your remote. Or, And I know like the Mets are literally two outs, two Edwin Diaz final outs against the freaking Pirates away from being 52-41. and 41. And I'll tell you, they're in a... We'd still probably be having some of this conversation, but I don't think it would be as exclamation point-esque as it is now where, you know, we're going to see some frustrating losses the rest of the year. You're going to see games where, like, how did, how, how can this mis- mismatch of what they're putting out today compete? You may see that with the doubleheader against the Braves because you don't know who's pitching those games. But I think this team generally believes that they belong with the big guys. They generally know that they have to step up in certain ways on a given day. And they think they're going to win. And they've got veterans that go out there, put the work and the time in, and focus on their craft and are having a ton of fun. And a team that believes, has the talent, even if they have issues, has the talent, but believes and can rub, really rub away a loss that no, none of the fans rubbed away that Saturday loss. That's stuck in their craw. You know how many tweets I saw where I'm... I'm not watching the Mets for the rest of the road trip, or certainly Sunday. That team just, they rubbed away the first inning. Aaron Loop said it. 
We could sit here and be miserable for seven or eight innings, or we could have fun and get something done, and they did. A team like that, what you saw, again, again, no against a really bad team, one of the worst in baseball, and a, a not-so-great team, a 500 team, but a good team and a pesky team, especially at home, nonetheless. That kind of resilient team that makes the most of this situation is a team worth rooting for. It's a team still worth believing that good things can happen. And it's a team that if I'm on the other side of the dug, uh, the field, if I'm in the other dugout, I don't want to face them in a short series. Now, the Grom doesn't come back, and that's a lot worse than we think. That's that's not a thunderbolt. That's uh, a th- uh, lightning that struck your house and burnt it down. But let's continue to think positively. Zach Scott says it's mild. Let's 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 not say that Lindor's out the rest of the year because I don't believe he will be, but he's going to be out a big chunk. And let's see this new version of the Mets. Not it's not totally to replace the Mets, but the version of the Mets which is relying more on offense, continuing to push that bullpen to its limits, and asking their starters to be just good enough. Let's see if these guys can get you through until September 1st, or at least until the uh, the trade deadline, which we'll talk about next, because Mets are going to need reinforcements. And I think Zach Scott gave you a little inkling about what, not what, let's forget about the big buzzes, the splash and all these crazy names. Gave you a little inkling of what the market's like, as well as where they're at with John Heyman and Big Time Baseball Podcast. If you haven't listened to it, Listen to Zach Scott on that podcast. Excellent. You learn a lot. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back at Talking Mets Podcast here. And like I said, Mets are a team that after what you saw and all the resiliency over the course of the last four or five days, it's still a team to invest in, even when we lost some confidence. And... However long they got to get through the no DeGrom, no Lindor. At the very least, I think you got to try to figure out no DeGrom until the all, uh, all-star break, until the trade deadline, and hopefully get them back August 1st or, or late next homestand for the road trip, maybe. Uh, Lindor, you're going to be out a while. And uh, I laugh because right away, they're trying to Yankee-eyes the Mets because of Steve Cohen's money. Well, Lindor's out. Well, now you can go out and get Trevor Story, or you get Javi Baez, and I mean, the Mets have some really good top-of-the-rankings uh, uh, prospects. Alvarez, for example. Beatty. You know, I'm not going to go through all that now. Just They just drafted Rocker. They got Matt Allen, who's out. You know, JT Ginn, big-time pitching prospect. You guys know the names. You just go to the list. If you're going to start going and, and swimming in some of that, and I know Story and Baez are free agents, but... Other teams, if those guys are legitimately available, other teams are going to be looking to maybe grab them and maybe teams that are in the in contention, they may say, I'll give you my top prospects. So you're going to have to pick, play top prospects. Plus, at some point, yeah, Steve Cohen says, I'll go over the luxury tax. I'll smash it if I go over it. I'm not just going to go over by a dollar or a little bit. You have to be realistic. Like, Trevor Story is not just going to want to come in and move to third base when Lindor comes back. He's coming back. He's Like he said, I'm not dead. So I laugh. I say, you know, that's not what they need. Like, the drop-off between Lindor and Guillaume is not so huge that you have to go and get Travis Story or Baez. Yeah, great to have those guys. But that's 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 fantasy baseball. Zach Scott with John Heyman said it best. You know, right now, and even Steve Cohen tweeted about it, the prices are high. Teams are not stupid. They know the Mets need pitching. They know the Mets are trying to win. And they know the Mets have a new owner. So what they're going to try to do is say, let's see how desperate these guys are. Let's see how much pressure the owner puts on because he wants to win. And maybe he gives up an Alvarez for whatever. Maybe he gives up uh, a Pete Crow Armstrong for a Merrill Kelly because he wants he needs that pitcher because his fans are not going to tolerate Robert Stock much longer. Or that doubleheader's coming up and they don't have anybody to start those games. 
And Anthony Bond is not a guy that the fans are going to feel good about going up against the Braves' offense. So let's see what we could get for John Gray, who's a free agent. That's 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 part of it. And and caution you on one thing with deadline deals. When players come over from one team to the other, there's some like cesspitous things happen, and and it and it's and it it's a beautiful thing, great impact. But there's an adjustment period, and not everybody comes and with a snap of a finger is themselves. guy like Chris Bryant has been in Chicago all those years. Yeah, it's a big market, pressure cooker to a certain degree. But you come to New York, in a lot of ways when you're a deadline acquisition, you're viewed as somewhat of a savior depending on who you are or somebody that's going to jump in and do best career norms. you got to find a place to live. Your family's displaced. Your whole world is thrown out of sorts. And there's the human component where now they have to adjust to these new teammates, new team, a lot of them are going from bad teams that are out of it into a good team environment. So sometimes there's those bad habits that have been created when you're not playing for anything. And guys struggle. And sometimes they don't perform up to the norm. And that doesn't say you don't make a deal. But it just goes through, like, slow your roll. You don't know what you're going to get because there's that transition period. Because you've had teams like, uh, I'm thinking it was maybe the Red Sox who went out and got Eric Gagne for their bullpen. He was awful after the, the trade. And I'm sure I could go and look at other examples, and probably before the deadline, I will, where teams brought guys over that were playing so well somewhere else, and they come to you know another environment, and uh, they're bad, or their you know their their adjustment is it takes a while. When we talk about Lindor and the adjustment to New York, I mean same thing for Brian. If the Mets acquired a, a Chris Bryant, he's adjusting to New York too, and to being in that spotlight. And dealing with free agency. And dealing with all the questions. And then trying to learn these teammates. And I think the Mets clubhouse has proven as even... Uh, I think Dave Joust, during one of his very colorful post-game commentaries, said the guy like Anthony Bonda comes in and right away the group meets, greets him, makes him feel part of it. Even though he may be there for five minutes this whole year. Uh, they'll probably do that with whoever they require the deadline. But clearly the Mets are looking for a starting pitcher. And Zach Scott said, and this goes for either starting pitcher or offense, I think it's pitching and starting pitching is exactly number one what they're going to go for. And the most likely, and, and the thing they can't walk away from the deadline without, unless something happens internally with Syndergaard and Carrasco, where you feel totally comfortable with them, and I can't see anything happening between now and, the, and next Saturday where that's the case. So they're going to acquire a starting pitcher. They're probably going to look for a higher leverage bullpen arm. And then if there's some kind of versatile offensive piece, then the offense. I think the off after listening to Zach Scott with John Heyman, I think the offensive piece is much less likely. They will go over the luxury tax, but they're they're gonna they're gonna try to f- they're gonna do that for a really big deal that makes sense, and it's not gonna be something they're gonna do with a lot of prospect capital given up. They he mentions on the whole uh, on the broadcast that. A lot of components of this current team are homegrown players. Think about it. Mets could have tried to go for it in other years. Traded away at McNeil. Traded away at Pete Alonso. Um, traded away at Dom Smith. Things that I probably would have been okay with in 2017 or 2018 if they were in a, a pennant race. You've got to be careful when you do that. And he saw the value of homegrown, even component players, in Boston. He was in Boston almost two decades. So... They'll go and go out and go blow above the luxury tax, but they're not just going to do it to make a... Uh, you're not making headline moves right now in July. You do that nonsense in December during Christmas, during the the winter meetings. He also talked about that the ability to trade for somebody who has team control, which would be a Kyle Gibson who has another year of control on his contract, or a uh, even a Merrill Ke- Kelly who... Again, I keep bringing it up because that's a name that's been brought up from Arizona. League average pitcher, probably give you six innings, three runs. Something they could desperately use right now. A guaranteed six innings, three runs. Nothing sexy. You shouldn't have to pay a lot for that in, in any way, shape, or form. But he's got control. He's still relatively cheap. He's got arbitration years. D-backs are going to say, well, maybe I could use him. Uh, Texas will, you know, might say, hey, I, I think I could compete next year. And I have Gibson at $7 million next year. I could use him. More likely is a guy that is Kyle Hendricks with the Cubs. And they'll probably say, you know, maybe they could get more. They're going to look at it and say, I could get more for these guys now 
their maximum leverage is now because you're combining with the team needs and the control and the cost. Now, John Gray, that guy's a free agent. You're either going to get a compensation pick, and I don't think that he would be somebody that they'd offer the, the qualifying offer. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know enough about Colorado. Uh, but a guy that they're going to probably take something, an asset uh, of lesser sorts. Nothing that it's not going to be a giveaway because I think if I'm the, the Rockies, I'm like, let's see what we could get out of these guys. These guys need pitching bad and they need it now. So even if you get a, a prospect in, you know, the top, you know, from the 10 to 15 range in the organization, I think that's pretty good. Look, the Mets tried to trade Addison Reed. They tried to trade uh, Jerry's Familia, the uh, same guys in, in, in walk years. They got a, a, and part of that problem was that they didn't want to take on salary, so they had to take less prospect capital. They got a quality, a quantity, not a quality, a quantity of prospects. The only one that's really around that's 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 doing anything is Nagosik, who you saw the other day, who did okay. So it's it you more than likely the other team knows they're not going to get somebody that's going to help them, but they're going to try to see what lottery ticket they can grab out of you. And the higher, the better the lottery ticket, the more likely they're going to help them down the road. And that's how you you know you sometimes you get Fernando Tatis Jr. for J- James Shields. You don't want that to happen. You know, I know everybody will laugh at me saying that after the Kelnick Diaz thing, but you don't want that to happen. So um, they're going to go out and get a starting pitcher. I think it's going to be a guy that's that's a free agent. I think the name John Gray is one as I start to look at guys available. Zach Davies and the Cubs, he doesn't excite me. I mean, look, he's an upgrade over a Bonda or TBA or 2BD. 2B, TBD? Is it TBD? Not TBA. TBD. TBA. Well, TBA to be announced. So I wasn't wrong there. It's better than that. It's probably better than Robert Stock, and it's it's uh, it's better than a bullpen game, but it doesn't excite me. Um, I, I think I would look at... Now, I'm not giving up on Edwin Diaz. I'm not. I think I would look at seeing if you could pry Kimbrell away. Now, I don't know. He's got an option. I don't know what the Cubs' financial situation is, and I'm sure there'll be competition for him. So that prospect capital may go further up. Uh Scott has a familiarity with Kimbrell, and I know there's going to be some people who have listened to the show for a long time and say, you're a phony, Mike, because you didn't like them signing Kimbrell back in 2019, and that is exactly right. I wasn't all for that, because they had Diaz, and we we hadn't seen the full Monty of Diaz. We hadn't experienced the how crazy that bullpen season was, but I was right about Kimbrell up until this year. Kimbrell was a guy that lost his job in the postseason because he was bad with the Red Sox in 2018. He was asking for a lot of money in the long years. He was a guy that was trending towards high usage, a lot of walks, a closer that you can say would have been a disaster, kerosene on the fire later in his career. And he was that in 2019 for the Cubs, and he was uh, to a certain degree like that in 2020. But he has reverted. Maybe he was unhealthy. Maybe again, coming in because he signed late. He was almost like a deadline acquisition for the Cubs. Signing late, transition, getting started late. These guys who sit out and don't sign until May, June, they always kind of struggle. Look at the numbers. Look at guys like Stephen Drew and, and guys that have played that game uh, in the past. But um, he's back to a guy that doesn't walk as many hitters, has been dominant, and uh, lights out like the Atlanta Braves' Craig Kimbrell that was arguably the best closer in baseball this side of Mariano earlier in his career. And... I'm not saying throw Diaz to the Wolves and not close him anymore, but having another high-leverage guy. Because right now, I'm, and, and the Mets have no choice. You keep going to Diaz. He's got elite stuff. He'll drive you crazy because his mechanics get out of whack. And for whatever reason, hitters find the ball at the worst possible situation, like Stallings uh, did the other night in, in Pittsburgh. Winker was a bad pitch, and, and he made him pay. Not ready to throw Diaz off the island, but if Diaz gets into that, hey, I'm not able to correct myself, you have to back him off. And they did it a little bit last year in the pandemic season. They started taking him out of the closer role, and then he got better and he went back in. And so there's times where I would be all for, hey, Diaz, you know, you're slumping. I'm gonna, you got to play that mental uh, judo with him. You know, let's just give you a break from closing. Let's put you in, in a lower leverage situation like the eighth inning with a three-run lead where if you get into trouble, it's not a big a deal of me taking you out because I got somebody behind. Now, Seth Lugo's been off. He hasn't been, you know, and you saw it, you saw the bad and the good with Seth Lugo in that 
Cincinnati game where he was really shaky that first inning. That second inning, he was vintage Lugo. He's coming off an injury, but he hasn't really been the vintage Lugo where I can say, all right, I have no problem with him being the closer. Maybe Aaron Loop. I mean, forget about Castro. I mean, you got Familia, and I look, know he looked good yesterday, but that's a seven-run balloon where you could you could trust Familia losing his command. He's kind of like Castro. He could lose his command, and then you have a problem there. Um, and then, okay, you have Trevor May. Maybe he can close, but not really a big history there. So you don't really have anybody you could go to. Maybe for a day or two, but if it really gets bad where you want to bench him as the closer, whether it be in a postseason series like what the Red Sox had to do to Kimbrell and use Craig Sale as starter, or temporarily for the rest of the year, you don't really have someone I could say, he absolutely will be better than Diaz, and I don't have a problem with it. Diaz could argue, Diaz arguably is better than all those names I gave you that they have in the bullpen. And if you put me and say you have to pick one right now, it's probably still going to be Diaz because I'm, I'm going to believe he's going to be dominant. The other guys, I'm not quite sure. And that includes Lugo because I don't think this is 2018, 2019 Lugo now. Maybe that changes. Lugo's about as close as to what I would do. But if you have Craig Kimbrell, then you do. Now, I know that I, I still think that's unlikely. I think the most likely scenario, and we'll talk more about this as we get deeper and deeper into the next 10 days of the deadline. It's coming right there. It's, it, things could happen after this podcast goes on the air. We don't know. It's an off day. Mets need pitching. Then we'll have to do an emergency show. Um, I think most likely they get a, a starter. I think they will try to get a bullpen arm. It may not be Kimbrel, but it will be somebody that at least could pl- pitch the seventh inning. And they have to get a bull- they have to give the bullpen some help. Because the B team and the A team now, there's some fluidity to it where May was pointing more towards the B team at the bullpen. Now he's firmly in A. Familia was more pointing towards A, and sometimes I think he floats back and forth. Castro at one point was in A, and now he's firmly in B. And who knows, you know, what are the, you know, there are guys that they could bring up, arms in the system, Marcel Renteria, maybe some guys that are down in Syracuse, are they going to give him a chance? I don't know. I mean, there's a reason why they're going with the guys they're going with. So you have to get somebody. Rodriguez in Pittsburgh. I know that's not a sexy name, and he's not really a closer, but he just throws strikes. Get me a guy that could throw strikes. Doesn't have to strike out 20 per nine. He could even strike out less than a batter per nine. Get me someone that I could bring in with a 5-2 lead, throw strikes, gets through the inning with some minimal drama. Because in this day and age, there's not enough contact for guys to string together a lot of hits. But you don't have to string together walks. You just stay. I could get a walk. I could go to the plate. I'm not a big league player. I go to the plate and stand there and wait for Castro to walk me. And I bet you if I stood in the plate with Castro, if I had 10 at-bats against Castro, and I just, Mike Silva stood there at the plate, he'd walk me a couple times. Maybe once, maybe not more than once, because he's going to say, this guy stinks. But he'd walk me a couple of times. Plus, I'm 5'6", five, 5'7", five, I'm short guy, so it might be harder to pitch to me. I don't know. But anyway. So I think that that's, and this is a very early thing. All I'm taking, I'm gleaming from, is the conversation a great conversation that he had with John Heyman. Almost a 40-minute conversation. So, there's that. But um, that's that for right now. I, he wanted to come to you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for sticking with this, uh, this, this show. We're getting to the real fun part of the season. This is why we do this. This is why we spend the winter playing GM, reminiscing about old seasons, waiting for pitchers and catchers when there's a Six feet of snow on the ground. When the furthest thing from the weather, the furthest thing from the hall, you know, that the environment around you is, is baseball. That's why we do this because when it's the meat and potatoes of July and August, the dog days of August, going into September, you want that excitement. Sometimes there's uncomfortable games like Saturday night, ruins, ruins, ruins weekends. Then you have those games like Monday with the Reds where you're like, oh, I'm killing myself till midnight watching this back and forth. I could tell what you guys are all going through. But when it's over and they win and the whole pie is looked at from a totality, you had fun. That's why you do it. Doesn't mean sometimes getting to the fun or the fun that you could talk about on shows like this, it's not always pain free while you're watching those games. So this is a fun team. I still think it's a team that has issues, will have issues the rest of the year. But it's a fun team, and I think it's a team that proved to us over the last few days through the Rust Belt. Their, their wild ride, that's the name of the show, the wild ride through the Rust Belt. 
that they're worth sticking around and believing in, even in times when you know they're like, wow, there's so many things that are wrong with this team. Why am I investing in this team emotionally? Well, this week showed you that. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, you could check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. The plan is to be back on Sunday. So we'll have another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Who knows? Maybe we have an emergency podcast. Maybe there's a trade in the, in the hopper. Sit tight. It's going to get a wild, wild, wild. It's going to get really wild here on the Talk Mets Podcast. Till then, take care, everybody. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.